Good morning. Uh, happy Sunday, or maybe I should say happy Super Bowl Sunday, right? Uh, who's watching the game today? All right. <laughs> Who is uh, purposefully not watching the game today? Yeah, a little more hands, I think, on that side. Uh, either way, you know, you can't avoid what's becoming one of the biggest national holidays in our country, right? Uh, who's rooting uh, for the Patriots? Any Patriots fans in here? Ouch. <laughs> I'm praying for you. We're all praying for you, I think. Yeah, you too. We were already praying for you, Sue. Uh, Who's rooting against the Patriots because of Super Bowl 49? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Seahawks maybe beat themselves that time, but blame the Patriots. Uh, I know we got some Cowboys fans in here. Who's rooting? Yeah, who's rooting against the Eagles just because they're the Eagles? All right, yeah, thank you, thank you, yeah, that's me, that's the camp I'm in. Uh, Who's just rooting for good commercials? Anybody out there, the commercial thing? Yeah, all right, yeah, (laughs) dilly dilly. (laughs) But hey, uh, no matter what, we're all drawing sides, right? We're all uh, lining up with one team or another, even if our team is the team that doesn't care, the team that's going to knit and watch the Hallmark Channel, right? Uh, we're all, uh, there's a coalition of people who just refuse to watch Super Bowl, right? And maybe this year more than ever, I don't know. But we all really want to be part of a team, and, and hopefully a team that, that's got some winning behind it, uh, some celebration. That's true for me, too. I got my own team, and I was reminded again earlier this morning that my Dallas Cowboys are not in the Super Bowl this year. Didn't even make the playoffs, but uh, but it's not going to stop me from showing my own team allegiance. You know what I mean? Where's some of my Cowboys fans at? Yeah, there we go. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. But hey, we all want to be part of the team, right? We all want to be associated with the team that wins. And uh, even, I mean, the Seahawks, they got a whole 12th man thing, right? I mean, just in case you don't know, there's 11 players in a football team, but you could be the 12th one if you, if you show up with the right uniform, show up to the stadium, all that kind of thing. And uh, some people, man, they get so caught up in this stuff. I mean, uh, they go to extremes. There's plenty of people who, uh, who just are, are so invested in the team, they go to extremes getting uh, tattoos of their team, even if it's delusional tattoos like this bright uh, go-getter here. So I don't know if you can read that, but the, the Cowboys did not win the Super Bowl last year. Uh, despite this guy's tattoo, they weren't even in the game. So this, this guy, or uh, here's another eager go-getter. Yeah, Cowboys champions 2015. No, that's not true. They weren't even in that game either. Uh, but we all want to be part of the team, right? We all want to participate, to, to partner with the winners. And uh, uh, even if we're not as eager as these bright young fellas, uh, we, we all want to be partnering with winners. And uh, here's the thing, though, right? This is not my jersey. That's not my name on the back right? Uh, even if you're so committed to your team as to wear the same uniform or to, to get a delusional tattoo, uh, even if you're super elated for your team to win the Super Bowl, there's still a difference between being a fan and being a real partner, being on the team. And, and real participation, it's a lot different from just being a fan. Even if you're wearing the same jersey as the real players, uh, even if you work out occasionally, There's a difference between being a fan and being on the team. Because real partnership, real work, it it brings a level of joy that uh, being a fan is just never going to be able to equal. A joy that's deeper 
and more satisfying. And this morning, we're starting a brand new series called Choose Joy. And throughout this series, we're going to do exactly that. We're going to examine where real joy can be found. Not, not happiness that's, that's fleeting and depends on our circumstances, if we win or lose, whatever, but, but joy that aligns us really with the very heart of God. And I think we're going to find that, that joy, that real joy, comes from some unexpected places. And in this series, we're going to be working our way through the book of Philippians. Philippians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul, and as it turns out, joy is really one of the major themes in this book. It, it, joy runs like a thread all through the book, which is really interesting if you know anything about the circumstances of Philippians. I mean, Paul, he wrote this book to the church in Philippi, an ancient city in uh, what's modern-day Greece, and uh, he wrote the church uh, to the church there in Philippi, a church that he'd helped establish. If you look at the book of Acts, you can read about that. And he writes to them to, to give them joy. He says that. He says that's what he's doing, kind of, kind of cheer them up a bit. And you think, okay, well, why wouldn't he just go and do that in person. I mean, wouldn't it be better for him to go face-to-face, reconnect with them, and give them some joy there? Well, well, Paul writes uh, to encourage them because he's in a prison cell, a Roman prison. And, uh, you know, I've never been to an ancient Roman prison, but I'm going to guess it's not a very joy-filled place, right? I mean, there's no cable, there's no yard time, I'm pretty sure nobody's coming around to make sure you got your three square meals a day, right? It's, it's, a, it's a pretty rough place. And in fact, Paul, he doesn't even have a lot of confidence that he's going to get out of prison alive. He, he, he really uh, doesn't feel like he may get out without either dying or, or being executed. And so, so how can he have so much joy in that setting? I mean, if you read the book, it really is full of of joy. Uh, I encouraged uh, each of us, I've encouraged us to read through the book of Philippians each day or each week of this series, and uh, it only takes 14 minutes. And uh, if you read it, you can see it's full of joy. There, there's 15 explicit references to joy in the book. It's only four chapters. That's a lot of joy crammed into uh, a short little book, and, and it's especially surprising given these circumstances, right? So, so clearly there's something different about joy and happiness. Joy is not dependent upon our external circumstances. I mean, it's clear Paul's not happy, but he's experiencing something better than happiness, something deeper. He's experiencing some real joy. And, and throughout this series, we're going to learn how we can experience that same kind of deep, abiding joy. Whatever circumstances are going on in our lives right now, we can still choose joy. And together, we're going to find out how. Each week, we're going to highlight a different aspect of, of really what it means to choose Joy. And so as we begin this series, I want us to begin just with the beginning of the letter, Philippians chapter 1. If you've got a Bible, you can open that up. And, and as, uh, as we start, we're going to find out how we can choose joy, not only as individuals, but also as a faith family. So, so let's just read Philippians 1. And, and as we read, I want you to listen for joy. I want you to listen for, for the source of Paul's joy as he's writing to this church. So Philippians 1, starting in verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. 
God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So did you notice it? Right there in in verse 4, Paul says he prays with joy. And and why? Where does his his, uh, joy come from? I just said it. It, He prays with joy because of partnership. Uh, That's the reason for the joy. The Philippians were partners for him. And uh, I told you throughout the series we're going to be discovering where true joy lies. And right away we see one of the the first and best ways we can have joy is through partnership, through real partnership. Not just being a fan but being on the team. And if you were here at the beginning of the year, the beginning of our series, This Is Us, uh, we talked about this word fellowship or koinonia. It's the same word here. It's translated partnership, not translated fellowship. It's the same word. Uh, partnership. And, and joy comes from partnering together. And, and we're going to see that Paul talks about three different ways that the Philippians partner with him that brings joy. But before we dive into those ways, I just want us to, to understand a bit about, about who exactly is partnering with Paul. Who are these people? So we're going to just back up to to verse 1. And and Paul begins this letter with really a a classic greeting. Ancient letters, just like, you know, modern-day letters or even emails, have a a, a typical format, right? And uh, Paul, he's a little bit like a jazz musician when it comes to writing letters. He's following the format, but he's kind of improvising a little bit. He kind of jazzes up the introduction a little bit, and and he does that here. Typically, an ancient letter starts with just three uh, simple pieces, the name of the sender and the name of the addressee who, who's getting the letter and just the word greeting, okay? That's, that's the kind of the typical format. But like I said, here's Paul. He's kind of channeling his inner Dizzy Gillespie, if you will, and he changes up this greeting. He has, he has those basic elements, but I want us to notice uh, what, he, what he adds to that. So verse 1, he starts off with the sender, which is Paul, his companion Timothy as well. But notice he's not just saying their names. He, he, he describes them in an unusual way. He describes them as servants of Christ. Okay, now that's, uh, that seems sweet and pleasant, really. That's kind of a nice way to, humble way to refer to yourself. But, but this word servant's kind of been cleaned up a little bit in this translation. Uh, you might have a different translation that says slaves or even uh, bond servants, and that's a little bit more clear. Paul is describing himself and Timothy as, as slaves to Christ. Now, now, slavery in the ancient world is a lot different than slavery we think of in our, in our nation's history, not nearly as... Uh, as brutal and, and racially divisive, but certainly no cakewalk. I mean, it was, it was a job, but it wasn't like a job that you could just turn in your two weeks' notice and walk away from. I mean, it was, it was a commitment for life. And, and so Paul, he's had, kind of taking this normal expected greeting, and he's, he's telling us something about himself. He's telling us that, that he's entered into a very unique relationship with Jesus. He's a slave, submitting his whole self to Christ's will. And, and right there, that's perhaps the biggest reason he can have joy as he's sitting in this, this Roman prison because he's a slave to Christ. He's willingly entered into this relationship. He wants to serve Christ with his whole life, no matter the circumstances, right? Giving up his own rights for Christ. And so that's how Paul describes himself. And you would maybe assume that he might describe the Philippians with the same kind of thing, like, hey, look how I'm living. I want you to live this way. Maybe even a, a harder description for them, right? But but notice how he describes them, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi. Well, that's kind of unexpected. I mean, he describes them not as, as slaves, 
But as saints, that's like the total opposite. And this word saint, it's the same uh, root word as the word holy, right? Holy. Uh, Paul's giving them a major compliment here. He says they're, they're holy. And this is the church he helped found. He knows these people, right? He knows all about them. And he says that they're holy. They're saints. And that's really interesting, especially because the founding of this church in Philippi was pretty unique in, in Paul's history. In most cases, Paul would go into town and find a synagogue, find a place where a group of Jews there already familiar with the teachings of the Old Testament, they already knew God and had a relationship with God, and he would start there and just, just work to show them how Jesus is really the fulfillment of all the promises that God has made. Well, that strategy worked really well for Paul, and, and the added side benefit is that as he started churches, he had this group, this core group of mature believers who were already kind of fairly down the road. I mean, they'd been going to synagogue their whole lives, whatever, and had lifestyles generally that would kind of line up with what you want your church leaders to be modeling for other people, right? Uh, they could teach confidently because they already had all this kind of Bible knowledge, all this kind of thing. Well, in Philippi, that was not the case at all. Paul's normal strategy did not work. There, he didn't find a synagogue there, so he had to use a different strategy. And if you read in the book of Acts, he, he began this church in Philippi, but not with this core group of mature believers with Bible knowledge and the attitudes to match. No, the start of the church in Philippi is this ragtag bunch of nobodies. I mean, uh, you want to count the offering twice as it goes around. This, these are some sketchy characters, you know what I mean? And yet, here's Paul describes them as saints, as holy. That's amazing. I mean, right here at the beginning of this letter, he's, he's shooting them with joy, giving them encouragement, prepping them for, for a life of joy. And, and this word holy, this word saint, it really has to do with being, being set apart for some special use, set apart for God's purposes. And, and that's how Paul really ultimately describes the Philippian church. They're, they're holy saints. They're set apart to serve God. So he's really just giving them a vision for themselves. It's like, like being on a team, right? Uh, when you join a team, you get a, a special jersey. It's got your number, got your name on the back, whatever. And, and you're on that team. You're not part of the sidelines. You're not part of the other team. You're on this team, and you've got a role to play and all those kinds of things. That's the same kind of idea that Paul is really getting at here. Uh, but the Philippians are not just part of any old team. They're saints. They're holy, set apart specifically for serving God. And as a result, they're perfect. They're blameless. They're righteous. And because of what Christ has done, because his perfect life has been applied to ours, then we're saints too. We're holy. Jesus has made us perfect in God's sight. It's an amazing way to describe the church, and it's amazing mostly because it's true. So there's one more part of the greeting. There's so much to talk about just in this first verse, all right? Paul describes himself as a slave, and he greets the church, the saints in Philippi. He adds one more group. The rest of the verse says, together with the overseers and deacons. Paul specifically mentions these church leaders. And just like the other descriptors, these are two uh, uh, specific terms, two terms that refer to, to special offices of leadership in the church. The word overseers here is the same as the word elder, not describing somebody who's, who's older, not that kind of elder, but, but the church office of an elder, overseer. These are spiritual leaders of the church. Uh, Pastor Brad described uh, this role as servant leaders of the church. That's exactly it. Overseers, elders, bishop, uh, all uh, different words to describe the same office of leader of the church, a servant leader. 
And just like Paul, these leaders should be putting others ahead of themselves, uh, building others up through their leadership. Uh, and if these overseers are servant leaders, then this other group, the deacons, they're the, the lead servants. They're the other half of leadership in the church, the elders and deacons working together to shepherd this church. And, and Paul specifically mentions them right here in the intro because he knows they play such a critical role. I mean, Paul, he loves, he cares for this church, and even though he can't be with them in person, he, he can still have joy because he knows that church is in good hands. I mean, think about this. Paul, he's gone, and there's no idea when or even if he's coming back. And the next maybe obvious choice for leadership, Timothy, he's gone too. So who's running the show here in Philippi? Who's looking over this ragtag bunch of nobodies? It's these elders and these deacons, these uh, overseers, that's why Paul specifically mentions them, I think, just to affirm their presence and affirm their importance. Well, here at Trinity, we can kind of relate to that a little bit, right? Uh, and I take great joy that our overseers, our deacons, are men of, of maturity and Christ-likeness, striving to really lead this church well. So these are the people that Paul is partnering with, uh, slave, saints, servant leaders. So, we made it through verse 1. So this is who he's partnering with, but, but what's the nature of their partnership? What are they really partnering in? And uh, the passage goes on to talk about three specific ways that these folks partner together that bring about joy. Let's take a look. The, the first joyful partnership is, is partnership in the gospel. That's exactly what Paul says in verse 5. He, he prays with joy because of their partnership in the gospel. And when we talk about the gospel, that's, that's just really shorthand for the, the message of what Christ has done. His death and his resurrection that pay the punishment for our sins, that make us holy, that allow us to have a vibrant relationship with God, that's the gospel. And, and from the beginning of their relationship, these people have thrown themselves in to spreading the gospel, to sharing what Jesus has done with other people, to anybody who'd listen you know, like we said, this church is not started with a bunch of mature, uh, lifelong religious people. This is a ragtag bunch that had been lost and now is found, and they're happy to, to share the news about what God has done. You know, they're, they're not ashamed of what God did in saving them, and they don't, they're not worried about showing up to work and talking all about what Jesus has done for them. They're just they're going for it. They're partners in the gospel. And, you know, being saved, that's a source of joy in itself, but there's really no joy quite like helping another person come to understand and embrace the gospel. And Paul encourages them, keep this up. Uh, he says they've partnered in the gospel from the first day until now. That's kind of a subtle push in there to keep it up until now. Keep going, keep going, because, you know, that's the natural tendency of every church, of every believer to kind of turn inward over time, to, to start to care for inward concerns instead of really keeping focused Outward, And it makes sense. I mean, as a church grows, as people grow closer together, it's, it's normal and right to be able to share deeper and deeper concerns. That, but when it, it often it comes at the cost of partnering in the gospel, of that outward focus. And so you have to constantly avoid that temptation to turn in, to only care about meeting your own needs instead of really advancing the gospel. And I think here at Trinity, I think it's a special danger for us right now. In this time of pastoral transition, it's really easy to just turn in, to think about ourselves, and, uh, you know, nobody would blame us, honestly. There's a lot happening here. But, uh, but real joy 
isn't found in self-focus. Real joy is found in partnering in the gospel, keeping that outward focus where it needs to be, out in the community where people are, are far from Jesus. And so as we partner, let's continue to partner in a way that's, that's partnering in the gospel, that, that's outwardly focused. And this is part of what Paul's getting at, I think, in, in verse 6, encouraging them to keep at it, to endure in this hard work of gospel partnership. And that leads us really right into the very next way that they partner. They're partnering in the gospel, but they're also partnering in grace. Verse 7, Paul says, Whether I'm in chains, defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. And that word share, that's that same word, partnership, in verse 5, that Greek word koinonia, same word. They're partners in grace. And part of what that means is simply that, that God is at work in them. God's grace is working on them to keep them focused where they need to be. It doesn't come naturally, as we said. It takes God's work in us. That's an act of grace. And, uh, and the other aspect of partnering in grace is simply about how their gospel partnership looks, what kind of flavor it takes. Uh, notice what Paul says in, in verse 7. He's in chains confirming the gospel, defending the gospel. Now, how are you supposed to do that while you're in chains, right? I mean, I think it could look like a lot of things, but I think primarily it looks like joy. A joy even when our circumstances are bleak. I think Paul's primary attitude is what made people take notice of him and helped him to confirm the gospel, right? I mean, because let's be honest, if somebody says they're a Christian, but there's nothing about their attitude or their actions that seems to back that up, do you take that person seriously? Why would you, right? It's only when a person's actions are, are aligned with God's priorities that we start to take notice. That's when you look at a person and you say, there's something different about that person. I actually had that, that very experience not long ago, a moment when a person uh, responded to my wife and I by noticing a difference in our attitude. Uh, as many of you know, we've got some kids with special needs, and two of the boys we've adopted have epilepsy. So we've got like a really good relationship with our neurologist. I've never imagined that I would say that sentence, but that's true. We do. And so we've seen, we see the same neurologist for, for both these boys, so we spent a lot of time with him. And uh, last time we were in his office over in Seattle, he said, man, you guys are, are amazing. I just admire so much what you're about. And I was kind of taken aback by that. I mean, I'm thinking to myself, this guy's a neurologist. I mean, he's literally a brain surgeon, Right? He's, he's out there changing people's lives, saving lives every day, and he's impressed with us? Well, of course, he wasn't impressed with me, right? He wasn't even impressed with my wife, although she's very impressive. But he saw Christ in us. He saw joy, joy that comes from partnering in grace, just letting God work through us. What's the same thing with Paul? He's able to confirm and defend the gospel of grace because... Uh, not because of, of some carefully crafted arguments, but because of his attitude. He's different. He's joyful when it doesn't make any sense for him to be joyful. Now, that can open the door to carefully crafted arguments, just as it did in our neurologist's office. We explained to him the, the source of joy in the midst of challenging situations. But, but it has to start with partnering in grace, with letting God grace, his, his grace shine through us and change our attitudes and actions. That's what Paul commends the Philippians for. That's why this church was able to be healthy and growing even with a ragtag bunch of nobodies. We can confirm the value of the gospel. We can defend the truth about life in Christ by the way we respond to difficulty. We're going to talk more about this next week, but just, just think about this for now. If people 
look at your life, if they look especially at the way you respond to hardship, are they going to be drawn to the gospel? Are they going to want to follow the kind of thing that you're following? We've got to be partners in grace, letting God's grace shine through us. There's one more area that Paul talks about partnering in, one more place we can find joy together, and that's partnership in growth. Spiritual growth is it's really a requirement. If we're going to partner in the gospel, we've got to be growing in it ourselves if we have any hope of passing it on to somebody else. But look at the kinds of areas Paul talks about growing in. Look at uh, verse 9. He talks about growing in love. And we talked a lot about love over the past couple of weeks, but I want you to notice it's an unusual prayer about growing in love. He prays that love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Well, that's some odd things to connect to love, knowledge and depth of insight. But I think what Paul's getting at here is the more we, we know God, the more we grow, in other words, uh, then the more we're able to discern. That's that depth of insight idea. The more we know God and discern his will, then the, the more and more we grow, the result is going to be love. We're going to live out love for each other and love for the world. We're going to, uh, the, the closer we grow to the heart of God, the more we're going to reflect his heart to the world in love. And the, and the ultimate result of partnering in growth, then, is fruit. That's the end of the prayer, verse 11, fruit that is righteous. That's ultimately what all our growth should be focused on, not just on ourselves, but that outward focus, fruit, letting God's Spirit work in us so we're bearing fruit for him, impacting the world with the gospel. So we're partnering in growth, uh, not just for our own sake, but it's growth in love, love for each other and love for the world. And the ultimate result of that increase in love is that we're impacting the world for Christ. So this kind of partnership, partnership in the gospel, partnership in grace, partnership in growth, that brings us joy. And as we align ourselves more and more to God's will, we're going to experience joy because we're living for Him and not just for ourselves. If we want to experience joy here, we've got to be partnering in these three areas, the gospel, in grace, and in growth. So let's talk about what does that look like for us here at Trinity. When we talk about partnership in the gospel, really we're talking about what doing God's work here in this valley. We're, we're working together, bringing the gospel to bear here, and there's joy in that. That requires a level of participation, and that brings joy. Not happiness, because it's not easy, it's hard work, but, but joy, deep, satisfying joy that, that really can't be explained apart from God. And in the simplest way, partnership of the gospel just looks like supporting the mission of the church. Our mission is advancing the gospel through making disciples. And so when we partner to support the mission of the church, we're partnering in the gospel. One of the ways we talk about it here at Trinity is uh, we talk about giving away your time, your faith, and your money. That's one of the four lifelong practices, a practice we want everybody to be growing in throughout their whole life. And, uh, you know, giving away your money, that's easy to understand, right? Not just giving here at Trinity, but just living a life of generosity in the world. And uh, that's one way you could partner in the gospel. Beyond that, just giving away your faith, being, being willing and being able to share your faith with the people God puts in your path. It's a skill we all need to keep Growing in. That's one of the reasons we continue to train our growth groups and our ABFs in that skill. So if you need to help in giving away your faith and get connected to an ABF or, or a growth group. Uh, but the third part of that, that practice, giving away your time. And that can mean volunteering in the community, you know, helping your kids school, that kind of thing. But it also means serving right here at Trinity. Like I said, our mission is making disciples, advancing the gospel in that way. So when you serve here at Trinity, you're really 
partnering in the gospel. And we talk uh, sometimes about serving here at Trinity as, as part of an invisible chain, right? Uh, everybody who serves plays a vital role. We're all a link in a chain that connects unchurched people to Jesus the Savior. And, and sometimes it's kind of obvious to see how your work, the ministry that you do connects that. But sometimes it's not as clear. But uh, would you ever stop and think? I mean, the people who fold the worship folders, that seems like a simple volunteer role. But, uh, but that goes into the hands of people who come to church for the very first time to encounter Jesus. Or the sermon notes that go in there, that gives somebody a chance to, to write down a thing that just might change their life, Right? Uh, the connection cards our ushers collect, that gives somebody a chance, who's, somebody who's flying under the radar, a chance to connect to the church more deeply and then connect to God as a result. Uh, uh, greeters, coffee corner, uh, the, the worship team, everybody is a link in that chain that just softens people's hearts and makes them to receptive to what God wants to do in their lives. So serving here at Trinity, it's not just something to do. It's a vital part of what it means to really partner with the gospel. I'm reminded of Everin Barber. Many of us knew Everin, and a big part of his legacy was serving, right? Giving away his time. He served faithfully here at Trinity for many, many years, and he served in the community. So even if you don't think you know Everin, you probably saw him ringing that bell at the Salvation Army kettle outside of Walmart, right? His attitude of partnering in the gospel, it really should inspire all of us to just to get involved, to give away our time. And that's actually, that's why you've got a special card in your worship folder this week. It's just an easy way for you to get connected here at Trinity, get started serving. And we call the folks who serve our impact team because they're impacting people with the gospel. See what I did there? All right. Uh, so just take a look at this card and see where you might plug in. There's a lot of possibilities on here. If none of these uh, jazz you, then there's a whole table out in the foyer with even more opportunities. Lots of ways that you can partner with Trinity, giving away your faith, giving away your money, but giving away your time, mostly. We partner in the gospel, but uh, we also partner in grace. So what does that look like for us at Trinity? Like we've already talked about, one of the big things it means is just that we reflect the gospel to the world, to our community. The way we relate to each other, the way we live in our community ultimately should, should point people to the, the gospel. We should be reflecting love, we should be reflecting unity, we should be reflecting joy, keeping that outward focus. Even when those things don't make sense for us to be feeling that way, we should really be uh, reflecting those values to the, to, to the community and to the world. And, and finally, partnering in growth. Here at Trinity, uh, you know, the best way for people to grow, not only just make Sunday morning a priority, but get connected to a group. Uh, our growth groups, we say, they're the place where you make your best friends and where you receive your best care, but they're also the place where you take your biggest next steps, a group of people that's committed to helping you grow. And uh, I'd love to see every single one of us connected to a growth group. Uh, if you need help with that, just make a note on the back of your connection card. I'd love to help you find a group that's good for you. But, uh, but I'll tell you one more way you can partner in growth. Just simply praying this prayer that Paul prays in verses uh, 9 through 11. There's some great things in this prayer. You pray it every day and, and, and learn new things about it every day. And, and pray it, not only pray it for yourself, but pray it for other people. Pray it for our whole faith family, all of us. That, that our love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So we may be able to discern what's best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. To the glory and praise of God. That's a beautiful prayer. So being a fan... 
That's pretty easy, you know. I heard on the radio this week that today is the single biggest day to eat guacamole in the whole year, all right? Uh, they said the average American eats seven pounds of avocados in a year. Don't do it all today. You've got to pace yourself on that. But it's so easy to sit around and eat guac and watch other people sweat and toil, right? It's so easy to do that. But to really be a partner, to really strap on the uniform, that's not easy. And I recognize that the things that I'm calling us to, they're not easy either. It is not easy to live out the gospel in this world. And it's not easy to exude grace when everything in your life is hard. And it's not easy to be in a real, genuine relationship with people who are going to challenge you to grow. But that's where joy is. And that's why we've got to choose joy. It's, it's a choice to lean into those kinds of things. But I'm just going to encourage you with some encouragement one of my spiritual mentors always used to say. He always used to say, don't ever forget that you're on the winning team. Jesus has already secured victory. So you and I, we're saints. We got the uniform of a saint, a holy person. And we're on the team that ultimately is going to celebrate victory. So let's choose joy in the partnership. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you that uh, you are victorious, that you loved us enough to die for us, to make us a part of what you're doing in the world, partners with you. And I pray that we would be continuing to partner with each other, a group of saints, a group of uh, holy people partnering in your gospel, living out grace and growing in the ways that you want us to grow. Pray that you would give us a focus for that, a focus for our community, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.